0: it's time for class
1: civics just doesn't begin and end on election day
0: this is sunday civics
2: the home for the civically engaged with political strategist l joy williams a serious
0: xm's urban view
1: welcome welcome to sunday civics i am your host your civics teacher and neighborhood political strategist, L. Joy Williams. And I am excited to have this conversation with two lovely, lovely uh, people to talk in depth uh, about reproductive justice and what that means for women, what that means for Black communities, what that means for our families, and how we can take action on those particular issues. And so joining me for that conversation, because more than 30 Black women organizations and advocates this week put forth a proactive reproductive justice policy agenda that seeks to address these issues in an innovative and proactive way. I am bringing to the front of the class, I am so excited about this, so excited, (laughs) bring it to the front of the class. First up, advocate and policy strategist, Marcella Howell, who has over 35 years of experience advocating for women's rights, reproductive justice, and women's empowerment. She is completely devoted, has devoted her entire career to enhancing the role of Black women in national policy debates, and she is currently the founder and strategic director of the National Black Women's Reproductive Agenda. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the front of the class, Marcella. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. And also joining us is Dazon Dixon Diallo. She's the executive director of Sister Love, which is a 25-year-old organization. It's a reproductive justice organization that focuses on sexual health and prevention care, including HIV, STDs, unintended pregnancy, and also partner violence. Uh, I am delighted to have Dazon Dixon Diallo. Hi, Dazon. How are you? Hi, I'm great and happy to
2: be here. Hey, Marcella.
0: Hi.
2: (laughs) So I got family in the room together, right? Yeah, we work together a lot. And if I may, Eljoy, I swear when we first came on, I was like, I know her. And it turns out you are so personable in all Mm -hmm. of your appearances when you're doing your punditry stuff that you feel like somebody I already have known a long time. So you family, too.
1: Good morning. Good morning. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Absolutely. So we have some time together this morning. So I want us to take our time. We're going to talk about the policy agenda that was just put out. Not that you haven't been working on these issues for some time, but I want to begin where I begin with every new guest that comes to the front of the class, as we say. And we're going to start with Marcella, with you telling us the story of your first civic action.
0: Oh, wow. Then I would have to go back to, to very young. Um, I grew up in a family where my grandmother was very active. I grew up in New York. Well, after we went all over the country because my father was in the Air Force, we settled in New York where my grandmother lived and um, she was very active in politics. So my first um, activity was working in w- alongside her in um, a number of different local elections. She just basically liked that kind of work. And it gave me my start. And my start was really to get um, equal, not salaries, but basically, um, you know, for kids it was allowances and different people gave their kids different kinds of amounts for allowances, which meant if you hung out with four or five young women, um, you got different amounts. So you couldn't always do the same things together. So my first little task was to work on getting my friends and me the same amount of allowance every week so that we knew what we had and what we could do with our money. Mostly we went visiting museums and things in New York. So that was my first political action was to get equal allowances for me and my friends and it worked. Okay. That is the most amazing civic action that I have ever heard.
1: Really tying that the civic action can start in your own household, which is equity. I love that story love it love it usually people talk about when they first went to vote with their parents or things like that marcella
0: was like no i want equity in my household i was (laughs) seven years old and my friends and i wanted to be able to do the same things together
1: i love it i love it okay what's your story
2: I am loving your story, Marcella, because mine is extremely close. I think I might have even told you this one before, but my first civic or political action, believe it or not, was still about my household, but it was in school. So I'm from a very small town, Fort Valley, Georgia, also known as Peach County. And there's only one school in the whole county. So if you make it through the eighth grade, you make it to my mother was the everybody's biology teacher or life science teacher. And... Uh, my first action was in my mother's class when we get to the whole thing about understanding the organs and all of that kind of stuff we had to do frog uh dissection and because i'm from the country and this course was in the springtime right my mother's uh response to how to do this was to have everybody bring their own frog because you know lots of frogs hopping around in the springtime And I just could not wrap my head around why we had to bring like 35 frogs to her class. And I just wasn't going to do it. And I can't go and tell my mama I ain't going to do something that everybody else has to do. So instead of trying to do that, I secretly went and organized my entire class to not bring their frogs so that I wouldn't have to bring a frog. Because I just could not imagine that we needed to kill 35 frogs in one fell swoop. And that was just one class in a day. And of course, what happened is nobody else brought their frogs because I was that persuasive. And Ms. Dixon's daughter said so. And so my mother brought her frog, livid as she was. We still all learned everything we needed to know about how the frog's body worked, even while there was a pin in its brain. And only one frog had to die for the sake of our education that day. And I think that was still a winning situation. And my mother still complains about it. But, but it, it
1: okay. I love that Mama is like. First of all, what you're not gonna do is
2: interrupt my lesson. First of all, right, right, exactly. And it was bad enough that I already had a hard time because I couldn't call her Mama. I couldn't fix my lips to call her Miss Dixon. So I would just call her uh, You know, it was like Ah. Uh, it was really a, it was an interesting situation. That's Glad exactly. it was only like three and a half months. Yeah, but I but
1: love my, the advocacy no for it. I love the advocacy for animals. It's just like, this is unnecessary. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Organizers at Ooh. heart, even as children, I love it. And advocating um, on behalf of those you think are defenseless, i.e., the frogs, <laughs> coming together. Marcella was like, if I had, we should all have equitable. you know what, you can tell the values that both of you have (laughs) and continue to have based upon those stories. I absolutely love them. And it actually changes the dynamic, being able to communicate to other guests and other people. You think about your civic life, you people always tend to go to politics, always go, tend to go to electoral politics mm-hmm. you know, as well, right? And connecting it to, it must be around a round of vote. But even here where we talk about civics is beyond election day, civic life is what we lead every day and how we advocate and use our voices every day. So I absolutely love that story. Well, we're gonna take a break really quickly and then when we come back, we're going to, you know, talk about what we actually brought you on to talk about, which is this new Black reproductive justice policy agenda. And I'm sure you have, both of you have, so much to tell us about, which I have been to a couple of times before this agenda that has just come out. And we'll talk more about that when we come right back.
0: Schoolboy and schoolgirl come together. Who is the teacher? I go let you know.
1: Welcome back to Sunday Civics. We are with Marcella Howell, who is the founder and strategic director of the National Black Women's Reproductive Justice Agenda, as well as Dazon Dixon Diallo, who is the executive director of Sister Love, which is based in Atlanta, but they are here, this morning to give us some information, educate us about reproductive justice and particularly 30 organizations, more than 30 black women's organizations came together and put out a black reproductive justice policy agenda. So I want to begin first with the definition or explanation of reproductive justice. I think that's a important part to start with. So Marcella, let's start there.
0: Well, um, first of all, you have to know that in 1994, 12 black women got together in Chicago and um, had a lengthy discussion about healthcare and other things and pro-choice, anti-choice or pro-life, all those terms that white women's organizations used. And they decided that they didn't really relate to their lived experiences. So they coined the term reproductive justice and reproductive justice combines social justice and reproductive health together. It is the human rights framework along with social justice framing and black feminist theory. And um, so reproductive justice is grounded in those three terminologies. And it is the human right to control our body, our sexuality, our gender, our work, and our reproduction. And we at In Our Own Voice and a number of other reproductive justice organizations believe that that right can only be achieved when all communities have the complete economic, social, and political power and resources to make healthy decisions about our bodies, our families, our communities, and all areas of our lives. So it is grounded in human rights frame, which of course, in many cases, puts you at direct conflict with the politics in this country. But that human rights frame is how we get to reproductive justice and how we get to the various issues that we um, that we work on. So. It is At its core, it is the right to have children, the right not to have children, and the right to raise the children we have in a safe and healthy environment.
1: Deza, you know, it's not lost on me, you know, I guess now some 25 so years ago when I was grappling personally with whether I identify as a feminist or identify, identify with sort of other national Um, or international phrases in terms of my own self, right? My own views. And, you know, part of that confrontation was my experience as a black woman in this world is different, significantly different than say a white woman, than say even maybe a native woman in you know in another country and sort of what does what does feminists being in America being black mean for me and do I identify? And it seems that the the terminology of reproductive justice was a way as Marcella mentioned a way to encompass all of that experience in that there is a history of black women not having the autonomy of their own bodies, right? There is the experience of you as a black woman in modern society and everybody's view in to what you should wear, look like, or, <laughs> you know, carry yourself. Not to even, you know, and and that's separate and apart some, uh, a lot of times from how you view yourself. So talk a bit about Dazon, sort of the differences and why you think reproductive justice sort of more holistically encompasses those ideas.
2: Well, you you pretty much laid it out. And what I can say is that um, the, One little nuance, I think, to what Marcella was saying to sort of describe even how and why this came up for these uh, Black women, which, by the way, were organized by one of my own, I live in her state district, was uh, at the time Representative Abel Mabel Thomas, who Mm -hmm. is a local legislator in our state, uh, state government, but who they were all attending. A feminist conference, right? They were attending a white women, for for, for the most part, reproductive rights conference, at which almost none of their issues were showing up in the conversations, in the plenaries, in the workshops, in any of the sessions, or even in the overall agenda of the meeting. And that's what even led them to that conversation. So the answer to that question, uh, Eljoy, for me, is that when you use the human rights framework at as the basis it also means that you're centering everything with intersectionality of course which was given to us by kimberly crenshaw Brown, 1989 and same time sister love got started and so it created for me personally a new way and a and a more uh, generalized way to be able to look at HIV, for example, in the lives of black women, because what reproductive justice does it unapologetically takes a look at race, gender sex and sexuality looks at economic equity it looks at cultural identity it looks at all of the intersections that show up in our lives and i would argue that in this country black women probably live the most intersectional lives of any group that you can think of when we're talking about intersectionality in the face of oppression right and so the idea of being able to look at all of the inequities and the injustices around our reproductive health, our sexual health, and our rights to the services, I mean, the access to health services and the protection of the rights that we actually deserve equal to everyone else, means that what we were, excuse me, working with under this reproductive rights rubric did not fit most of our lives. I want to make sure that people understand when we talk about the human rights framework, Folks, there's actually a framework that was agreed upon by uh, you know, dozens of countries in 1948 under the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And they broke these specific equalities down into categories that have everyday meaning in our lives. They're civil rights, right, which are basically the right to be treated equally under the law. But if you only have civil rights that means that if housing for example is not identified as a right then you just want the right to be equally homeless as everybody else Mm -hmm. if that is if that's their situation so you also need your political rights which are usually codified in the bill of uh, in the bill of rights or in the amendments and for example the first amendment is a political right some would agree that the second amendment is a political right but we certainly agree that 13th 14th and 15th are political rights right so you've got to have political but you also must have economic rights social rights cultural rights environmental developmental sexual rights all of these categories represent everyday human existence and if we're bridging ourselves towards the human rights world then that means we have to be working on all of these things simultaneously That's what reproductive justice does for me because I can't tackle one issue in any person's given life because there are multiple issues going on at the same time. And reproductive justice gives us the vehicle to be able to do that. And you can see that as it shows up in our policy agenda.
1: Yeah, so let's talk about the policy agenda and what the impetus for creating this was in, you know, reading it and we'll share it. Obviously on our page and channels, there were more than 30 organizations, 30 black women's organizations that came together and putting this together. What what was like that? What was that process like? Because anytime I gather with three friends, <laughs> you know it's gonna be a time. So you know, I can say, was there brunch involved? No. What was the convening of these women's organizations like in order to produce this?
0: well the, the the first thing because it had to be virtual i mean our original plan was to bring people into a room and have several days and several different meetings to do this process but we were in the middle of COVID, and COVID was one of the impetus for us deciding that maybe this was an important thing it was the COVID pandemic and the and it's inequitable impact on black families. And then there was, there were the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the racial protests that went on in the summer. And it was clear that this country still did not recognize the lived experiences of black women, fems, LGBT black people, Um, and other gender expansive people. So we wanted to bring together people who worked on a wide variety of issues and say, can we come up with a policy agenda that addresses all of our lived experiences and then make recommendations to Congress? This is specifically directed at Congress. We're gonna get around to doing one that's directed at the state legislators, and event, and we have some things directed at you know a, a presidential administration. But this was this policy agenda is specifically about legislation, new laws being crafted that address our lived experiences. And so we pulled together people, And what was fascinating is some of these women had been working together before, some of them had met each other for the first time. We pulled together some of the founding mothers of um, the reproductive justice movement as well. Loretta Ross was involved in this, Tony Bond was involved in this. Um, And we wanted to make sure that we also had new voices um, involved in it as well. So some of the younger women who had been involved recently in reproductive justice, and it took time. I mean, we, we had to discuss what kind of issues we were gonna cover. And then we had working groups who um, took on each of these specific issues and drafted policy based on a reproductive justice lens. And that's what was important, was to make sure when we were talking about Black maternal health, if we were talking about housing, if we were talking about food security, we were doing it from a reproductive justice lens, which Dazon has already talked about in terms of its intersectionality and what it meant if you wanted to have housing, a housing discussion you had to have an environmental justice discussion, an economic justice discussion. You had to have all of these different pieces that said, here's what our life is made up of. So how do we come up with a holistic approach? And we finally, you know, everybody did their part. We um, and we've got the black reproductive justice policy agenda that we've already started sending out to members of Congress and getting really great support from them. And um, so that's that's basically how we did it. It was an eight month sort of exercise um, of pulling people together almost monthly, of having the working groups working with each other. But we did it and um, and people are excited about it. I'm really excited about it. I mean, we were we were like, oh, this is just great. This is really much more than we expected. And and um, and it's just a, a great piece. It's a one of its kind. It's never been done before, and we're getting great responses from members of Congress um, on on what they're seeing in it. All right. So, Dazon, did you have anything to add before?
1: I, 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 I want to go through also the sections, and we have time for that. But I know you wanted to add a few things.
2: I should do and. Marcella, you have to give me permission to toot your horn just a little bit. And I just want all of our um, good Sunday Civic School folks to understand that eight months ago, it didn't just start. And you had a group of folks that came together and said, oh, we got this. We can work this out. This is great. Marcella was quite prescient, I think, in laying the groundwork over a number of years. And what I mean by that is even as we've been organizing under a Black Reproductive Justice Partnership prior to that, we have spent a number of years talking about these issues collectively as Black reproductive justice organizations. And then Marcella would bring us together every year to collate all of these issues that are going on in our states and in our regions, and then collectively go up on the Hill and talk to our own uh, legislators about these issues. So she had already started building this ground this groundwork and this foundation for what ends up being this phenomenal process. The second part to that, I think, was also prescient, is in 2019, In Our Own Voice brought together a multitude of groups, Black, Latina, Asian Pacific Islanders, Indigenous and Native American, as well as um, uh, uh, folks who are of international and immigrant status all together in DC to talk about the intersections of our lives and then again create a common agenda and go over onto the hill and express our agenda in policy form to our different legislators without that body of work that had been done prior to her to our decision to sit and write this policy agenda it would have taken a hell of a lot longer than 8 months i guarantee you that and it probably would not have come together as beautifully as it has because there are some solid relationships that were already there, that already had space to build on some of these ideas and these thoughts, as well as some of these policy concepts. But it also created this drive for us to make sure that it was also intergenerational uh, in as much as it was intersectional. And so I had the privilege of appointing, assigning, and then having to um, help mentor At least four members of my own staff who worked in teams to work on writing some of these sections, and they had a blast. And if I can tell you that at least one of the young women, when it was released this week, saw her own words in this agenda that will also live forever she was over the moon. She could see the effect of her work immediately, even if we haven't gotten any of this immediately past. So I think it's really important to identify that as you are organizing, one, you gotta collect the data as you're going along, no matter what. You don't always have to know where it's going, but certainly every conversation that's held, every issue that's brought up, every story that's told, every moment that you have that you've moved somebody along to, to be in solidarity, All of that is what must be laid in order for you to come together with a a seminal document like this policy agenda. So Marcella, I just had to lift that up because I don't think it could have been done as beautifully as it had if we hadn't already laid that groundwork and you hadn't led us to that. Uh, And I think that it also helped us understand the importance for those of us who live and work in the deep South, And I also have an office in Johannesburg. So we also work in the global South that having a relationship to what's going on inside the Beltway in Washington, D.C. also helps us in our local work in our work at the state level, in our work in the regions, and um, and so it's inspiring us to do a lot of different things with our local policy agendas as well. We are about to, at Sister Love, we've been in the midst of forming a legislative agenda for the state of Georgia on Black reproductive justice, and now we have a blueprint for which we can line up our local issues, with what we're advocating at the national level. And I think that this not only becomes a tool for us to push Congress to do the right thing by not just black women, but you do right by black women then you end up doing right by everybody, quite frankly. And so when we, as we fight for that at the national level it's giving us uh, some new breath and some new energy and some new wind beneath our wings to take on these uh, tough policy issues at our state levels especially in the deep red, almost burgundy south. We'll be back with more of Sunday Civics.
1: How can it be that you love the most unlovable? What I me? me, We are back. Those who have been students here at Sunday Civics for a while know I've done whole lessons and whole shows about developing a policy agenda, developing an agenda for your community, for your issue, um, how to meet, with your legislators and engage with them on the things that you want done, on the issues that you care about or the issues that impact you personally and your community. So using those tools of interaction, because like I say here all the time, how can someone represent you if they never hear from you? You have to be able to put forth your agenda, your issues, what you would like to see done, not only from a policy perspective, but also from a budget perspective, so that those things can line up with the people who represent you. And this is a great example uh, of how that works together. One, in organizing and working with others in your community or in your same issue area to come together to develop an agenda cohesively, right? And not to say that, You know, I can assure you that there are probably things that didn't make it in, or wasn't relevant, or things of that nature. But coming a common ground in terms of organizing, and then being able to take that work, make it personal, make it relevant, whether it be on the state level, local level, your city council, um, your state legislature, and then being able to continue to organize and. In order to get those things done is definitely a civics lesson for, if not anyone. But I wanna go a little deeper, cause we got time and this is my show. I wanna go through each section and let's let's give an overview because I implore everyone to actually read the policy proposal and we'll share it out as well. And just because you do not identify as a woman doesn't as a woman doesn't mean that you should not also read this, particularly if you are in a position of power and I would say an elected position of power, a corporate position of power, because there is a way that you can take action on some of these items, even if you're in the private sector. So let's begin first uh, with the first category, which is sexual and reproductive health.
0: Okay, I'm gonna let Dazon actually talk a little bit about that one, because her, her team was involved in writing quite a bit of the pieces in there.
2: Yeah, so <clears throat> thanks, Marcella, for that. In, in the section around sexual and reproductive health, because as the young folks would say, this is my jam, right? This is where we live and breathe, and this is where all, almost all of our work is centered uh, within all the intersections. And so for us, this particular section is including issues around maternal health, uh, chronic health conditions with regard to sexual and reproductive health. It's also looking at sex education Uh, comprehensive and otherwise, uh, because there's an argument that we make around community education. There's contraceptive equity, access to abortion care, assisted reproductive technologies, uh, as well as uh, genetic engineering. All of these areas we're calling for policy solutions to deal with them. So, In terms of the maternal and infant mortality crisis, We're looking at that the fact that Black women are uh, carrying the burden of the disproportionate numbers of people who are uh, delivering and dying in childbirth is that it has to be grounded in awareness of racism's impact on preterm as well as uh, maternal deaths. And it also is rooted in social justice frameworks so that there has to be an address of the power imbalances. What kind of policies, what are we recommending to make sure that there's more equity and access? For example, eliminating the racist uh, stalwart of the Hyde Amendment that comes up every year. And concomitant to that would also be the Helms Amendment that also impacts our international resources and support around abortion care. So the Hyde Amendment obviously is something that we know and see discriminates predominantly against Black women and other women of color and Poor women who do not have other means of pay for their health care, especially through things like Medicaid and Medicare. It also has to address the systemic institutional racism or what Dr. Uh, Dorothy Roberts calls race medicine in chronic conditions. For example, not only just lack of access to health care or getting low quality care, but we also have to address the, the uh, impacts or the effects. Of racial and gender discrimination in healthcare, implicit bias, how you know measuring black women's pain just because we're black, and and receiving uh, fewer resources or fewer prescriptions for things like killing pain, or recognizing and trusting black women when we know what's wrong or what's not right with our bodies, that we're listened to and that we're responded to with the appropriate healthcare advice and services and treatment. We also have included in the sexual reproductive health section, a good bit on mental health, because at the same rate, uh, people of color, black folks, we experience mental health issues at the same rate as everybody else. But when you look at the way we're treated because again, of race medicine, then we're less likely, for example, to get the appropriate prescriptive drugs for any types of uh, neural disorders or other mental imbalances. And so there's a better need to understand where our mental health stresses come from, what we're facing, and we're not only talking about cisgender black women, we're talking about women, we're talking about femmes, we're talking about girls, and we're talking about gender expansive individuals. So if you think about, for example, it's not only the trauma of being a transgender person, Uh, regardless of what my body parts look like, but being treated equitably in the reproductive health space for what my health care needs are, that's one set. But then to also be brutalized on the streets to the point of murder, that's another level of trauma that now also impacts an entire community of people because they have to live every day at risk. They have to live every day conscious of their safety and their security and the stresses of that alone lead to other mental health challenges so we're looking at it intersectionally we're not only talking about of course making sure that abortion care is uh paid for equitably that it's accessible equitably that it has high quality uh components that are built into it but in addition to that We're also looking at education and contraceptive equity as well as mental health equity. And when we're talking about other chronic conditions that impact our sexual health, well-being and pleasure, then we have to be looking at changing policy as it stands right now. And the Hyde Amendment is our number one.
1: Amazing, amazing. Marcella, did you wanna say something else before we move on? Uh, no, I think Dazon pretty much covered that. Moving on to social
0: justice, community justice, and safety. The um, next I, well, Dazon, I do want to actually say something uh, about yes. that part as we start. This is where you really get into what reproductive justice is in terms of its intersectionality. Um, we've done several polls of Black women and asked them um, There's a question that we ask each time and we just actually did one right after the 2020 election. And we asked black women, what are the issues that you consider when you're thinking about having a child or expanding your family? And that's where we got into all of these different intersectional pieces. People would say having access to clean water, to housing, to making sure I had savings in the bank, which gets to how we accumulate wealth or don't accumulate wealth. Um, They would talk about police violence in their community or over-policing of their community. They would talk about having access to good healthy food choices, to um, issues around uh, toxic chemicals. This is where we get into those kinds of issues under social justice and community justice and safety, is that we are looking at those kinds of things that impact our lives as we make decisions for ourselves and our families. And they range anywhere from voting rights, police violence, sexual assault issues, economic justice, environmental justice, education justice, um, LGBTQ liberation issues, um, aging. Another issue that is not fully looked at is how black people age and what that means as we age. It used to be that there were several generations of families in one household. Now with the, the amount of travel and the flexibility that black families have in terms of where they live, you don't have that much of that. You've got, so aging is a big question. And we saw that during the COVID pandemic, how these people, people who were living in assisted living or nursing homes were at high risk for COVID infections. And then not only were they getting sick, but their family couldn't visit them because of the COVID restrictions. And so the warehousing of seniors, of aging people in our population is something that we really have to look at. Um, Black parenting, uh, parents who have a disability, all of those kind of issues do touch on how we live full lives how we thrive in our society and in our communities so i wanted to just sort of set that framework that when we ask the question these issues come up and that's why we felt that it was really important to include them in this section and then i'm going to let dason go ahead and say what she was going to say about this section
2: well i think for example when you mentioned the polls marcella There's an interesting question that comes up every time we talk about it, I think as uh, for the time that we've been working together on specifically these black reproductive justice uh, items, we've done uh, agenda issues, we've done at least three national polls, at least in every one of them, clean, healthy water has been a top issue, for example. That doesn't show up in everyday conversation. It doesn't show up when you ask people, what are your political issues? When they poll people around election time, that doesn't show up. It showed up in this last election, however, and it has been showing up for black women for at least the last five, seven years since we've been doing these polling work. And so that in and of itself gives you an idea of how black women think about our policy issues and how black women think about how our our policy issues impact not just our individual selves, but our families and our communities. And then by extension of that, our country and our world. So when I look at this particular section, one of the things that I come out of it with is that I remind people all the time when black women organize and I'm in the state of Georgia. So as of January 5th, we have proven ourselves true that when black women organize, we change things for the better for everybody not just ourselves. And that's because when you're able to look at what Marcella just laid out, including issues around voting rights, around economic justice, around climate justice, around sexual violence and other forms of violence against black and brown bodies, food insecurity. When you're going down the line of all of the things that really are identified in word and in many places in action in the human rights framework, then these are exactly the same issues that people can articulate from day to day if you ask them. So when we ask, we ask the questions that are really based on our own lived experiences and we get more robust responses from our own communities and our families as a result of that. So that there's just this expectation that um, we don't have to always answer to the questions that are asked that don't speak to our lives. We can also throw back the questions to say, what about this? Cause this affects me. And that's how the issues that showed up in this policy agenda have happened. I heard some of the conversations when my folks were sitting around writing these pieces. Well, what about this? Cause when my aunt happened, when this happened to my mother, mm-hmm. when this happened to my cousin, this should have been this way in my local community. And then that issue ends up in the agenda, even if it's not in the, policy agenda, even if it's not in the platform of whatever particular party you may be akin to, if it's in your life, it should be on the agenda. agenda. And that's what we try to incorporate. Yeah,
1: so I want to go to this last section very uh, quickly on religion and reproductive justice. This one is particularly um, important for me because a lot of my identity, a lot of my sexuality, a lot of all of that is centered around. You know, my if you know anything about the Williams family, is we gonna preach, we gonna sing, we <laughs> like we like, and Jesus has loved us all of our lives. <laughs> from there, right? And so my idea about my reproductive health, my sexuality, my, you know, walk in this life are is also centered around, you know, looking back uh, and clearly defined based upon my faith. And that is because of my family. But not in a way that was heavy-handed that You know, uh, we needed to dictate to other people. I have the saying that my faith is how I govern myself, not what I impose on others. Right. But we see very much so that as an institution, religion has definitely had a heavy hand in imposing on people's reproductive life, their idea of themselves in terms of their identity, their gender identity, their sexuality, their reproductive her. And so I wanted to provide that context, which I know for a lot of people, and that's from every age, whether you're 80 and been a church mother all your life in terms of your reproductive health or even growing up in in a faith-based reality, which is you know different in main in, in mainstream society. Talk a bit about how that section
0: came together. Well, we know that you've already said it. Um, religion is very important in black communities, in black families. And it is the way we exalt our moral agency around different issues. And and so it does occur when you look at the intersections of race, class, gender, and um, community culture, it always includes religion. And um, so one of the things that we did wanna do when we started this discussion was besides teaming up with Dazon and Sister Sister Love, we also teamed up with Interfaith Voices for Reproductive Justice, and they work in religion. They work with um, elevating theological narratives that center the moral authority of Black women and girls and gender expansive people, and um, one of the and they've been on the front lines. So they do push back at institutional religions that use their religion to discriminate against other people. And we saw that with the most recent Supreme Court decision that just came down, where there was an adoption um, and foster care agency that said they would not allow um, same-sex couples to um, adopt through their agency because of their religion. And the city of Philadelphia basically said, well, in that case, we're cutting your contract. And so what you had to weigh was freedom of religion versus discrimination. And the Supreme Court came down unanimously in favor of freedom of religion, but in a very narrow context. And, um, and so that's always been the problem that we have seen when conservative pastors get together and come up with how they can use religious construct to discriminate against people that they don't agree with. And what we've tried to do in, in this section is to say, religion should first start with do no harm. It should be something that brings people together in their religion, not breaks them apart or keeps them at a distance because you don't agree with um, my right to love who I want to love, to be in a relationship without marriage or with marriage. I mean, it's, it's that simple. So black women have always, always done sort of the moral authority about how they see religion. And I should add in the polling that we talked about, we have asked this question of people who self identify as being very religious and black women and men who are very religious are very, very progressive on social issues Mm -hmm. and on the right of individuality of people to exercise their own identity and their own self worth. And, um, and so that's where religion and reproductive justice converge is yeah. that it is not, um, we are, you know, religious people who are black are not out to separate us and them. They are out to bring people together. And that's the difference. And so we wanted to make sure we included a section on religion and reproductive justice in this document in order to put that out on terms of policy but also in terms of family and community and that's what that's what we really looked at with the religious piece
2: i just want to say amen if you don't have one sentence marcella which uh, i think sort of uh encapsulates it all is that that's what makes reproductive justice different from the reproductive rights movement overall because there is a place at the table for even people of religious faith practices that are not in support of abortion, but when on any day, not stand in the way of someone else making that decision for themselves. Mm-hmm. So reproductive justice creates a larger umbrella because other intersections do matter and are common. And we can stand on the same side of some of these issues, even if we're not in the same belief on other issues. And so religion is important so that we can understand where we diver- where we diverge and then do the work where we have common ground.
1: Well, ladies, just before we wrap up, I believe in giving homework. The people who are listening, you know, have varying levels of uh, spaces of influence. Everybody has influence somewhere. Everybody can do something somewhere. What are some action steps that you are hoping people can take after reading this? Because one, we want you to read it and see where you identify, see where you align. And then two, you need to act upon it. What are some action steps that you think people can take after reading
2: this? We'll start with You Not only read it, but talk about it with other folks. Share it and encourage other people to read it. But then write about it, blog about it, post about it on your social media, what what resonated for you, what you think is important. Second to that, you then want to share that same response by talking with your uh, elected officials at the local level, your congresspeople, your senators. Make sure they know where you stand on these issues. uh, In some regard, this policy agenda also identifies current legislative issues that are on the table right now, moving or not moving through the House of Representatives and the Senate. Get in touch with your people, let them know how you're feeling about these particular uh, pieces of legislation and support the ones that you love to move faster and to move more appropriately that are going to meet your needs. Those are the two biggest things. Learn and then share what you learn. That's the most important thing that you can do to move the change forward. Marcella? Well, if you're a voter, I want you to
0: go to BlackRJ, that is Black Reproductive Justice BlackReproductiveJusticeRJ.org you can plug in right on the home page of our website to send something to your member of congress to say we want you to support the black reproductive justice policy agenda as Dayson said when you read it and you see specific issues contact your elected official um contact your state legislators your local mayor and your local city councils and say This is important, these items are important. They represent how I view the world. They represent my life and I want you to get involved. And so there is that. And again, if you do write about it, write something. Um, Everybody's on social media. So there are ways that you can go on your social media platforms and send this out, talk about the issues in it. This is something that was written by black people for black people and for black communities. And we want all of you to get involved, to, to just join the fight with us and and not sit back because there are things in here that we need to make sure we get done. Um, and it, and it is something that is urgent um, and it takes just a few minutes to go and send a letter. The letter's all teed up. All you gotta do is plug in yes, and they will tell you who your members of Congress are. They'll tell you who your Senator is. You can do this. Um, and and that's what we want people to do. We want people to listen, to read it, to really pay attention on, you know, and to reach out to other other organizations and say, you should be supporting this. And talk to your family members about it. Talk to your your girlfriends, talk to your family, your community people, talk to your pastors about getting involved, because that's really something we do need. (laughs) Well, thank you to both
1: of you for the conversation this morning, for coming to the front of the class. Thank you for taking the opportunity to join us this morning. We will definitely be sharing this reading material. Certainly reading this is beneficial. And I want to thank you, Marcella Howell and Daison Dixon Diallo, for joining us this morning here on Sunday Civics, and we hope to have you back again. Thank you very much Thank for having you. us. Thank you so very much. And we'll be back next Sunday with more of Sunday Civics. Till then.